When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The DC-10s were designed with the purpose of luxurious air travel in long distance flights. However, what started out as luxury was quickly overshadowed by the lack of safety. From the beginning, these planes were disastrous in the sky, eventually leading to hundreds of deaths and dozens of serious accidents. What went wrong with these planes and were they really as dangerous as they seem or were they simply a product of their time? Hello everyone and welcome to The Corporate Casket. I'm the Illuminati, and today we will be discussing the serious incidents of what has been called the death plane, the DC-10. Just as a quick warning, due to the nature of this episode, death is discussed multiple times throughout. If this may be a little too much for you to hear right now, please feel free to skip this episode and we'll see you in the next one. With that being said, let's get started. The manufacturer of the DC-10 aircraft was the McDonnell Douglas Corporation. Formed in 1967, the company was the result of a merger between two former companies, McDonnell Aircraft Corporation and the Douglas Aircraft Company. Douglas Aircraft Company had been established in 1921, while McDonnell Aircraft Corporation had been founded in 1939. Donald W. Douglas founded the Douglas Aircraft Company and had massive success working with government contractors to develop aircraft. Douglas was born in Brooklyn, New York, and his father, an assistant cashier at a bank, had great affection for ships and the sea raising both of his sons with the goal that they would someday attend the Naval Academy in Annapolis. However, Douglas had different dreams. According to Britannica, Douglas had first developed an interest in aviation after watching the Wright brothers and their demonstration of the groundbreaking biplane in 1909 while he was pursuing his education as a midshipman. He later left the Naval Academy to pursue his new passion in aviation and attended the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. He went through school quickly, receiving his bachelor's of science degree in an impressively quick two years. After finishing school, Douglas bounced around different aircraft manufacturing companies. Perhaps it was his younger age or perhaps his attitude. Air Force Magazine says he did not fit in with the bureaucracy of the time, but whatever it was, it seems he never kept a job longer than one year after graduating from school. His true big break came in 1920 when he met David R. Davis, who dreamed of making the first nonstop flight across the continent. Now everyone has a D name in the story, so I'm sorry, there's gonna be a little tricky to differentiate them all. With Douglas's promise that he could build the plane capable of such a historic event, Davis invested and they started the David Douglas Company. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. He developed the Cloud Star, which according to the Air Force magazine is the first aircraft able to carry a useful load in excess of its own weight. The success of the Cloudster allowed Douglas to buy Davis out of the company and he renamed the business the Douglas Co. He began contracting with the Navy and Army to build planes in 1921 to 1923. Then in 1924, one of his planes finally reached the original goal and successfully flew around the world. 
After much success and fanfare in the world of aviation and having been revered as one of the world's most prominent aircraft manufacturers, Douglas finally stepped down from the company in 1953, giving control to his son. Now onto the company that Douglas merged with, McDonnell Aircraft Corporation was famous around the country in its own right. James Smith McDonnell, who founded the company, was born in Little Rock, Arkansas, and came from very humble beginnings. After graduating from high school, he served in the army before being able to study physics at Princeton University. This is where McDonnell would first experience flying a plane, and like Douglas, he quickly fell in love with aviation. When he graduated from Princeton, he then took courses at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology and later joined the Army Air Service as a pilot. After working for over eight different companies over the course of 15 years, McDonnell gained valuable experience as an engineer and as a pilot. Despite being successful working for other corporations for years, he decided he wanted his own company. Once he successfully found funding, he opened the McDonnell Aircraft Corporation in 1939. As the second war began, McDonnell received their first military contract and thus began their longstanding history of working with both the Navy and Army to produce aircraft. The two companies merged in 1967 after the Douglas Corporation ran into a serious financial crisis. McDonnell offered to keep the senior officers of Douglas on board, including the founder's son, Donald Douglas Jr. Shortly after the two companies merged, they introduced a design for a double-decker wide-body aircraft with passenger capacity of 550 passengers, after American airliners had called for airline manufacturers to make a large passenger jet. The new jet was called the DC-10 and was developed for mid to long haul routes and intercontinental routes. The plane had three engines, simple flying quotes Boeing, who merged with McDonnell Douglas in 1977 saying, in addition to the luxury and spaciousness inherent in its wide cabin, the three engine DC-10 incorporated improvements in propulsion, aerodynamics, structure, avionics, flight control systems, and environmental capability that advanced industry standards. In other words, the new plane was fancy and expensive. Shortly after they released the design, the plane was ordered by both American Airlines and United Airlines. Then in August, 1970, the DC-10 made its first flight. It was the first of over 900 flights required for the aircraft certification after completing all requirements. The FAA, Federal Aviation Administration, granted the DC-10 certification in July, 1971. Now, before we get into the multiple instances of tragic crashes and other incidents associated with this new luxury jet in the 1970s and 80s, I just wanna talk a little bit about what air safety was actually like around this time. As flying became one of the most preferred ways of traveling for people across the globe in the 1960s and early 1970s, the airline industry saw a massive increase in their passenger and ultimately their wallets. Air travel from the 60s and 70s was regarded as a luxurious and classy experience. Unlike today, passengers on planes at this time were often provided with multiple course meals, spacious legroom, and apparently a shit ton of liquor. A far cry from the tiny pretzel packages, zero comfort, and long lines we face when traveling today. Traveling through the sky was mostly reserved for those who could afford it, primarily white businessmen. It wasn't until years later that airlines started offering coach pricing and flying became far more accessible. However, this doesn't mean airline operators like United Airlines weren't making bank because they absolutely were at a faster rate than they ever had before. But money wasn't the only thing that increased in the 70s. The number of crashes and hijackings did too. According to Flight Safety Australia, 1972 was the most dangerous year to fly on an airliner. In one year alone, it is an estimation that over 2000 people died in airline crashes. Though the worst year for crashes was technically 1948 with 99 crashes, the planes in the 1970s were bigger and carried more passengers. So the 72 crashes that occurred in 1972 led to more deaths. Crashes primarily happened for one of two reasons. 
first, planes were flown into terrain, mountains, or there was a loss of control during the flight. Wright, a training pilot, said that pilots in the 1970s had an extremely high workload and the planes weren't as animated as they are today. So tired, overworked pilots often had to make quick decisions by themselves in times of crisis. Apparently, flying at this time was considered to be so dangerous and unsafe that there were kiosks in airports that sold insurance. And I'm not talking about the type of flight insurance we have today where if you miss or change your flight, your fee is covered. I'm talking about life insurance. Many airports in the 1960s had kiosks that sold life insurance for $2.50, which could be paid in quarters. Life insurance for $2. The kiosk would usually have a warning. One of them read, do not purchase more than a total of 62,500 principal sum, nor for travel on other than scheduled air carriers. This policy covers on one-way trip only, unless round-trip ticket is purchased before departure. In other words, this life insurance only covered you that one time on that one flight only. And I don't know about you, but today, if I saw something that was selling me life insurance before I did the activity or at the airport before I got on my flight, I probably am not gonna get on that flight or do that thing anymore. Especially if that life insurance only covered a one-way trip. It's just kind of a big old red flag for me. Despite this thinking, air trip travel insurance became a massive enterprise in the 1960s. A report filed in 1963 by a group of underwriters who handled a large quantity of the air travel insurance businesses reported premium collections for one year to be collected and it was over $3 million. Apparently, according to Insurance Business Magazine, people started taking advantage of the air flight insurance industry by resorting to extreme violence on board in order to collect, including releasing dynamite on planes. One such incident happened when a businesswoman's son hit an explosive in her Christmas present, which she then boarded the plane with. It exploded mid-flight and wound up killing 39 passengers and five airline employees, though the source does not say whether the mother of the man who planted the device was killed or not. The man did later admit to the FBI that he planted the explosive device for the insurance payout. He was later executed for his crimes. Let's just discuss the absurdity and brutality of this for one second longer. Not only was this man perfectly fine and content with killing his own mother for some extra cash, but he was also fine with killing innocent people too. In the next 10 years, three more commercial flights would be blown up and insurance fraud was the detonator for each. While you may be thinking that this is the reason we don't see air travel life insurance anymore and it would certainly be a good reason, the reason is that as traveling on a plane got safer, there just wasn't a need for air travel life insurance anymore. And as if that wasn't enough, hijackings were also outrageously common in the 1960s and through the 1980s. In an article released by the Los Angeles Times in 1983, they reported that there had been 225 attempted hijackings of American Airlines, 115 of them successful. And that was only between the years of 1961 to 1983. From 1968 to 1973 alone, there were 117 hijacking attempts and 69 of those were successful. In November, 1971, one man named D.B. Cooper completed one of these many hijackings at the time. He required parachutes and $200,000. He then jumped out of the plane, though we don't know if he lived or survived and his story has become a sort of American folklore. With the outrageously high number of hijackings happening in the United States, more strict searches and security procedures were put in place. These included metal detectors, pat downs, and plane marshals, all the things we've become accustomed to now. So traveling in the sky in the 60s, 70s, and 80s definitely came with its risks, and the safety was nothing compared to what it is now. 
But unfortunately, the DC-10 seemed to either be incredibly unlucky, cursed, or just poorly designed, and had over 50 serious accidents in its three decades of flying, including crashes, hijackings, and one bomb on board. While I obviously don't have the time to discuss all of the incidents experienced by the DC-10s over the years, let's get into some of the worst. And before we get into some of these horrific and somewhat graphic accidents, I'm gonna go ahead and place the sponsor here. So if you remain after the sponsor segment is over, just be warned that this is where the episode is going to get graphic. It's that time of winter where everything is just so damn cold. And all I wanna do is eat warm and cozy things and not go outside. And luckily I don't have to thanks to HelloFresh. Now you've heard me go on and on about HelloFresh before, but just in case you haven't, HelloFresh sends fresh pre-measured ingredients right to your door along with easy to follow recipes. And HelloFresh has your cozy cold time hookup. They've got limited time recipes that offer twists on some of the favorite classics from around the world, like beef tenderloin and cheese fondue or miso sesame shrimp and bacon ramen. And if that's not your taste either, HelloFresh has meals for every desire and food restriction. Their series of fit and wholesome meals are both nutritious and satisfying with low calorie and carb conscious options too. You can even switch out your proteins if you don't like that protein or don't want it at all. And I'm sure this comes as no surprise to anybody, but I am a very meticulous planner. I love everything to be very planned for weeks and months at a time if I can. So one of my favorite things about HelloFresh is that I can schedule deliveries up to like six or eight weeks in advance and I know what the menu is so I can pick and choose for weeks ahead. So go to hellofresh.com slash casket16 and use code casket16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. That's up to 16 free meals and three free gifts at hellofresh.com slash casket16 and use code casket16. Now, again, since sometimes that weather is cold and moody and you don't wanna leave the house, I get it. But what if you don't even wanna make anything? Well, here's where DoorDash can help you out with that because if just even making the food, is just not that day, DoorDash has you covered. Whether you want takeout from your favorite place, you forgot some key grocery store items, maybe like your toothpaste or something, or you want late night cookies, DoorDash can grab that for you. With over 300,000 DoorDash partners, you can grab food from your favorite local spots, as well as your national go-tos like Popeyes or the Cheesecake Factory. Ordering is super easy and everything is left safely outside your door when you choose contactless delivery drop-off. I really like that DoorDash added options like CVS and Walgreens and stuff like that, because I tell you, one day I woke up with this terrible migraine like a couple days ago, and I could not get out of bed. I just couldn't do it. I was like, nope. I looked outside, saw the sun. I was like, absolutely the heck not. So I ordered some Advil and water and stuff through DoorDash and sure as hell, that was so convenient because I was just dying inside and could not move. And for a limited time, our listeners can get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code CASKET. That's 25% off up to a $10 value and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the app store and enter code CASKET. Don't forget that's code CASKET for 25% off your first order with DoorDash. Subject to change, terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer.
This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. The first major incident with the DC-10 happened only two years after it took its maiden voyage in 1973. On a National Airlines flight, one of the engines exploded. When it blew up, a piece of the engine broke a passenger window, causing one of the passengers to be sucked out of the aircraft through that broken window. The passenger was later revealed to be GF Garter from Beaumont, Texas, and unfortunately, it took two years for his remains to be found. According to passenger accounts and the report released following the incident, multiple passengers attempted to pull him back into the aircraft, but were sadly no match for the decompression pulling him out. He was also wearing a seatbelt, though it tragically could not stop him from being sucked through the window. After the incident, the plane made an emergency landing and 24 of the 127 surviving passengers and crew members were treated for smoke insulation, ear problems, and minor abrasions. The National Transportation Safety Board reported two years after the incident that the engine's fan blades had contacted the fan case during flight, which caused the engine to explode. Despite this horrible accident, I didn't find any sources that mention any repercussions in this incident to the airline or the plane manufacturer. Only one year later, there was another severe DC-10 incident. This time, it was due to a faulty cargo door. The DC-10 had previously had problems with their cargo doors before this tragedy. In 1972, a DC-10 was flying over Ontario, Canada when the cargo door suddenly blew open. The cabin of the plane lost pressure and the floor collapsed. Cydia Smith, the leading flight attendant, said she was lifted off her feet by the explosion while she was making the passengers coffee during the flight. Miraculously, the pilot was able to keep control of the jet and landed the plane safely in Detroit with no major injuries to the crew or the passengers. McCormick, the pilot, had over 24,000 hours of flight experience and his co-pilot, Whitney, had over 8,000. Thankfully, McCormick had prepared for this type of situation before it had happened. He had been concerned about what would happen if the plane's systems would be damaged in mid-flight. Because of this concern, he spent countless hours in the DC-10 flight simulator preparing for this type of situation to learn how he could control it. This type of forward thinking is what saved hundreds of people's lives. It was later discovered that the latches were designed poorly, which led it to open mid-flight and it was recommended that they be modified. But despite this knowledge, nothing was done to actually fix the issue and there were no recalls of the DC-10s and they continued to build more with the same faulty latch. This would come back to haunt the DC-10s multiple times. On March 3rd, 1974, the latch would open on a plane again, this time causing massive damage and hundreds of casualties. The plane was a Turkish Airlines McDonnell Douglas DC-10. According to history.com, before the plane was meant to take off, the latch had not been inspected as it was required to be. The mechanic who was meant to do a visual inspection of the door was out on vacation and the flight engineer apparently forgot to assume this duty. This would turn out to be a disastrous mistake. When the plane reached an altitude of 11,000 feet, the door blew off only nine minutes into the flight. This caused six seats in the back of the plane to be sucked out along with the people sitting in them. Unfortunately, the door flying off caused the flight control cables to be severed and the pilots were unable to control that plane. 
It crashed in the Armenoville forest in France only 90 seconds after the doors blew off, killing 346 people in total, including all of the crew and passengers. Despite the company being made aware of the faulty latch door in a previous incident, the manufacturers blamed baggage handlers for failing to properly secure the latch. Even if that were true, and despite someone forgetting to check it, the fact remains that the company was aware of this issue and never did anything to fix it. The blame placed on baggage handlers by the company actually caused them to boycott all DC-10s. It wasn't until a spokesperson from McDonnell Douglas apologized that they returned to working on that plane. Following an investigation regarding the crash, the FAA issued an airworthiness directive, which forced McDonnell Douglas to finally modify all of their DC-10s that were currently in service. Then the company lost an $18 million wrongful death lawsuit to the families of the victims of that crash. This crash remains the deadliest to take place on French territory, and it is the fourth deadliest accident in the history of civil aviation. The DC-10s would go on for a couple years with no incidents, but another tragedy occurred, this time on American soil in 1979. Flight 191 took off from Chicago O'Hare Airport and was meant to land in Los Angeles. While the plane went down the runway and reached takeoff speed, the left engine broke off. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. The cockpit voice recorder caught one thing at this moment, the pilot saying, damn, this would be the last thing captured by the recorder. When an aircraft controller saw the engine break away from the plane, he radioed and said, all right, uh, American, uh, 191 heavy, you wanna come back to the runway? Unfortunately, there was no reply. Despite the engine falling off, the plane was in mid takeoff and continued rising to 400 feet. Then suddenly the aircraft started veering to the left, overturned, and the nose of the plane tipped to the ground. After only 31 seconds in flight, the plane crashed into the abandoned Ravenswood airport. The plane exploded when it hit the ground, killing the 277 people who were on board. This would become the deadliest crash in the United States, not including crashes relating to terrorism or hijacking, and remains so to this day. Firefighters came to the scene in under four minutes, but the smoke was so thick and the fire was so intense that firefighters could not approach the crash for close to an hour. The plane's impact and the explosion also caused a fire at a mobile park home and killed two bystanders on the ground. The fire lieutenant at the time, Bill Clark, said that the smoke was so thick at the crash site that he couldn't even be certain that a plane crash had occurred there at first. He said, it was total devastation. There was nothing we could do to change what happened. One of the firefighters was so disturbed by the things he saw on the call that he refused to light a grill for a while and said, the carnage, it was just one of the most horrible things you've ever seen. So what happened? Days after the accident, the Federal Aviation Administration issued orders for all carriers to inspect DC-10s with a particular focus on an area where the engine attaches to the wing. A night shift mechanic for United Airlines said, I just had the feeling there was something not right. When he went to inspect the plane, he pushed on the engine and it moved side to side rather than up and down. He also heard an unusual metallic noise when applying pressure to the engine. Sensing that something was wrong, he and his coworker removed panels and found damage in the engine, including fractures and bolts with the heads sheared off. American and Continental Airlines also found damage on the DC-10s when they completed their inspections. 
Due to this, the FAA ordered that all DC-10s be grounded only 12 days after the horrific incident. They remain grounded from June 6th to July 7th. According to the National Transportation Safety Board, the disaster of Flight 191 could be traced to cut corners and poor maintenance inspections by American Airlines. The McDonnell Douglas instruction manuals required maintenance to remove the engine and the pylon that connected the engine to the wing during safety inspections. However, they were not doing this because not doing it saved around 200 man hours per aircraft. Anthony Brickhouse, who is an associate professor at Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University, said the maintenance checks equals money and went on to say, and that's the battle you constantly fight in safety. It's safety versus money. And as the many other disasters I've covered in previous episodes, this again comes down to one key and continuous issue with corporations, it's profits over people. Following the investigation, the FAA fined American Airlines $500,000, $1.9 million in today money, and Continental Airlines $100,000, $384,000 in today money. Now, if you ask me, a $500,000 fine for American Airlines was far too light. This disaster was completely preventable if the maintenance checks had been done properly prior to the crash rather than after. $500,000 does nothing to impact the company's bottom line and certainly does not seem like enough to caution them against making dangerous decisions in the future. However, no amount of money can bring back the over 200 people that lost their lives over the corporation's careless actions. The FAA also required that DC-10s make improvements to their pilot warning systems and revised manual procedures for handling an engine failure. In a statement released by American Airlines after the investigation, they said, We honor our customers, crew members, and those on the ground whose lives were lost, and our hearts go out to those personally affected by the tragedy of Flight 191. They also said they were working with federal regulators to improve air safety. But this unfortunately was not the only crash for the DC-10s in 1979. Another took place on November 28, 1979 during a sightseeing tour in Antarctica. Air New Zealand had been doing sightseeing tours for over two years, and they were massively successful. The captain flew the plane through the clouds and below 2000 feet to offer his passengers a better view. But unfortunately, due to the minimal clarity, the pilot could not see the mountain ahead of them. When the proximity alarms finally went off, it was too late for the pilot to change course and the plane plummeted into Mount Erebus, killing 257 people. There were two key explanations for the crash. First, the pilots had been given a different flight path than the one that was placed in the plane's computer. They had assumed it was the same flight path as before, which went over the ice and water. But instead, this flight path was over Ross Island and the 3,794 volcanoes known as Mount Erebus. The second was the weather called whiteout, which causes a lack of visibility because of the light bouncing off the snow or ice. After two rounds of investigations, the Royal Commission placed blame on Air New Zealand, who had routinely flown at such extremely low levels to provide a better view for its paying customers. The commission also said that Air New Zealand had developed a conspiracy to blame the pilots for the tragedy to avoid having to pay compensation to the victims' families. The head judge of the investigation famously called the airline's actions an orchestrated litany of lies. While this crash was not the fault of the plane itself, I bring it up to show that sometimes the DC-10s were simply, for lack of a better words, at the wrong place at the wrong time. And not all of the incidents of the aircraft's record were the fault of the faulty designs associated with the plane. However, this was definitely the result of, once again, a company putting profits over people. Just because I mentioned hijacking earlier, I will say that there were DC-10s that experienced this too. On a flight from Rome to Paris, a plane was hijacked by a single person. This caused the flight to make an unscheduled stop in Geneva, Switzerland. While there, the hijacker shot a passenger and that passenger ultimately was killed. When the Swiss police stormed the plane, they shot and killed the hijacker. 
Fortunately, despite some minor injuries to several people while running out of the plane, none of the remaining 141 passengers and 15 members of the crew were seriously injured or killed. While DC-10s did experience some wrong place, wrong time type situations, they definitely had some situations related to faulty design and poor maintenance. As I mentioned earlier in the crash in Chicago in 1979 and the Turkish flight in 1974. And unfortunately, another massive incident took place again in 1989 because of an engine. While flight 232 was en route to Chicago, an engine exploded and the hydraulic lines were severed, which caused the plane to lose flight controls. Without those controls, the plane started to turn and was at severe risk of turning upside down. But the pilots were able to eventually gain at least some control of the plane. Despite the fact that this type of issue had happened multiple times on a DC-10, there were no backup plans for a DC-10 with total hydraulic failure. The quick thinking pilots were able to balance the plane long enough to reach the Sioux airport where the air traffic control cleared United 232 for any runway. But since there were no hydraulics, there were no brakes. So the landing was far from soft. When the plane hit the ground, it exploded and caught fire. Because of the rapid response by rescue teams, 184 of the 296 people who were on board were saved. Unfortunately, this means that 112 people lost their lives. After the investigation, it was discovered that the engine had a crack in it, which caused the explosion. Nothing happened to the McDonnell Douglas Corporation because of this flight. The DC-10s remained in commercial use until 2014 when it took its last commercial flight, but they are still actually used today as cargo planes. A plane enthusiast, Gordon Stretch, interviewed by the BBC said, it was important to mention that of the 446 DC-10s built, a relatively small number were involved in fatal crashes. He told the BBC that there have been high profile crashes for every type of aircraft and went on to say, I wouldn't say the DC-10 was an unsafe aircraft. There was a specific problem and the maintenance procedures at the time weren't up to speed. Another man, Chris Yates, who is an aviation expert said that the DC-10s were unfairly criticized during their tenure. He said, there were some pretty horrific accidents a number of years ago and ultimately it was grounded for a while, but then it got back in the air and it was all go really. Multiple people within the BBC article said they had a positive outlook of the DC-10 and hoped it would be remembered as a plane that helped pave the way for distance flying. Chris Yates said he thought the DC-10 would leave a hell of a legacy. Now, I'm obviously not trying to scare anyone with any of these stories about horrific accidents on a plane. As I mentioned earlier, plane safety in the 60s, 70s, and 80s was not nearly what it is today. There is currently a fatality rate of one out of every 120 million departures in the United States. Engines are far more reliable and other electrical and safety systems have been upgraded to be more durable. Safety checks on planes are far more thorough than they were before and air traffic control has been updated to prevent collisions. As Dr. David Myers had an interview with the Huffington Post and said, the most dangerous part of the journey is driving to the airport. The National Safety Council provided statistics to match the statement in an odds of dying table in 2008 to show the odds of dying in a car accident as one in 98 in a lifetime and the odds of dying in a plane crash as one in 7,178. So statistically speaking, flying today is genuinely safe. But what do you think? Were the DC-10s death planes or simply misunderstood and a product of their era? I hope you found today's episode interesting. And if you did and want to listen to similar episodes that I've released in the past, I would highly recommend checking out my episode on Pan Am, the Seawool Ferry, or the Hyatt Hotel episodes. But with all of that being said, that is where I'm ending today's episode of The Corporate Casket. I hope you learned something new today. Thank you for spending some of your time here with me and I'll see you in the next one. Bye.